0: Hello, and welcome to the Black Belt and Thinking Podcast. My guest today is Peter Sorby. He's going to be here and talking to us about a story of succession planning, working with a family-run business and all the dilemmas that come with that. But uh, the approach he'll be talking us through is one that we could all use anywhere in businesses or family lives. So I hope it's an interesting podcast and you get a lot out of it. Welcome to the Black Belt and Thinking podcast. I'm Peter Cronin, lead presenter of the Black Belt and Thinking. This is a podcast where we look at all things to do with thinking faster and acting more purposefully. I interview experts in their field to try and provide you with the insights to the way they think and the tools and processes they use on a day-to-day basis. If you find value in this podcast, love for you to share it with others.
1: Okay, thanks Peter. It's great to be here. Great to be talking about things like succession planning. I think in businesses, um, succession planning sort of gets left. And then by default, when somebody dies, um, we get outcomes put upon us that are not really favorable. Um, And then then we get an argument in amongst the um, uh, remaining people, the beneficiaries of the will, so to speak. And um, it can get very ugly. But just as difficult sometimes is actually dealing with things when everybody's alive and well. But I don't think what exists is the wish and the will to actually deal with the conversations in such a way that they're actually complete. And the end outcome is we have a succession plan. And I think one of the difficulties in building these succession plans is that people try and think now about what something will will look like in, like, 20 years' time. And the problem is that in the next 20 years, things change. So really, in my view, a succession plan is um, the beginnings of a journey. And it's okay along the way to um, check that you're on the right journey and to even change the direction that you're on but probably what's not okay is to do nothing over the 20 years or not do enough in that 20 years, such that um, difficult conversations and difficult positions are left um, when, when somebody passes. So what, so what happened here was I had, let's call them mum and dad, um, come come and see me and mum and dad have a business. And let's just raise the emotional stakes on it a little bit, and let's call that a farm. All right, still a business. Yep, um, but a, but it's a farm, and people have a lot of emotional attachment to the land. And um, I've started to realise around the country, New Zealand being a you know quite a, a strong agricultural base, um, there's a lot of farming families, and there's a lot of people who are farming who have sons and daughters who may wish to farm or they may wish to not farm. But somewhere along the line, there ends up being a conversation um, with mum and dad that that they would like something to happen uh, with the sons or daughters, or the other way around, where the sons and daughters talk to mum and dad saying they'd like certain things to happen. So Peter, what happened here? Mum and dad came along, and um, they started talking to me about um, the farm and how the farm's made up and what they'd like to do for the future. And it was interesting because um, they, they were sort of young enough that the future was a f- quite a few years away. Yep. Not too many, but you know, far enough into the future that it's still a future conversation as opposed to a tomorrow conversation. So they really wanted to have some sort of successful succession in five to, years, five to ten years' time. And what they thought made that up was they wanted to protect the farm, they wanted to protect the thing that was theirs, they wanted to protect the thing that they built, and they'd really like that to be a family thing. Right. But the other part about it is that they also realised that they wished their children, which in the, um, in this case, was um, two sons. They wished the sons to be independent farmers from mum and dad. But that's okay. That all makes, made sense. But then when we delved into the grumble, let's call it the grumblings of mum and dad, mm. we started to find that they were doing things to protect the farm, like they were taking actions to protect the farm, But every time they did that, they put into conflict the son's independence. So what they would do is the sons would decide something, or one of the sons would decide something. And then dad would come along and go, oh, wouldn't do it that way. (laughs) 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 What are you doing with those fence posts? They're around the wrong way. And whilst that might, might sound like a silly example, you can imagine how that stretches into bigger things when you start discussing how a paddocks being ploughed, or the seed that's being planted, or the day and the time of the day it got planted, or the day and the month it got planted. Or <laughs> yeah, right. This just goes on and on and on. So you get these. So they want to take these interventions, but they're doing it to try and protect the farm. But what they do is that they're starting to. Um, almost destroy, I I say that carefully, because it's not ugly, but they they start to break down, the son's independence, (coughs) excuse me, so the sons can't, or don't feel like they're independent farmers anymore, they still feel like they're farming with dad. Yeah, yeah. And so mum and dad get torn, because if they can't do that, the other action is to not take intervention Mm -hmm. actions, But if they do that, they feel like they're violating protecting their farm. Yeah. And so, Peter, they got left in quite a dilemma as to what to do. So they've come to to see me and we're trying to um, design a pathway forward um, for the family to talk about succession planning. So what I did was I went and saw mum and dad on the farm, went and saw the sons, But I did a bit of a process that had a bit of um, design around it to cause specific outcomes. And I'll explain what I did, because I think there's value in that for the listeners to, to do similar things, not even necessarily with succession planning, but even just other things that come up where conversations need to be had, and in particular with family members. Yeah. Okay. So... I went and saw the mum and dad and the two sons, and I saw each of the sons independently from mum and dad and independently from the other son. Right. So I saw each family, so to speak. And each son had a wife, and each son had children. So like these family groups have developed along you know, quite nicely over time. And of course, it gets harder and harder to actually do something. So what I did is I saw one of the sons, and we sat down, And I I spoke to one of them and just got them to frame up that when they think about being on the farm and in particular the ownership of the farm and succession, what bothers them about that? And I got these, these sorts of responses. Oh, it's been running not bad, but slowly deteriorated. There isn't really a plan. Ideas get thrown around, but no real direction. Goalposts seem to move all the time. It's a bit unclear about who does what day to day. Communication's difficult. Talking about anything. Feels like an attack. Too many blow ups. Little things don't get resolved. No clarity on the future. Didn't know what the end looked like. And mixed operational messages.
0: Yeah, right. That could be almost any business. <laughs> and of course,
1: Peter. Yeah, exactly. It's not. It's not just farming that looks like that. You know, it's 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 almost every relationship where you've got more than one person trying to do something. Yeah. So then we sat down and tried to break break all that down into a um, um, some simplicity. And what we came up with, or what they really came up with. Oh, sorry, I'll go back a step. So in order to get that list, I got them to write down on a piece of paper first what was bothering them. And the husband and the wife independently wrote a list. And then what we did is we went round one for one for one, so did a lap, so to speak, until we'd exhausted the lists but it gave each person the opportunity to put something up on a whiteboard and talk about it. Right. Yep. And then it gave the other person the opportunity to put something up on the whiteboard and talk about it. And then so we when kept, you see you
0: did laps, sorry.
1: Yeah, we kept repeating that process until we'd cleared the lists. Now, I think the valuable thing about that is the people were able to talk about it without interruption, and could get something off their chest that had been building up. And not only that, at the end of the day, we had a list. Yeah. So out of the list, we built a diagram to explain the position they were trapped in, and it sounded awfully like the first one that I was talking about, where um, they wanted to farm together and, and do things that farming together entailed. And they wanted to do that because there was strength and scale. And in sure. farming, yep. it's that that, may, that would mean that they get to use, um, you know, buy one tractor, but get to use it collectively. Yeah. The other thing it does is there's big protection from the risk of the weather. So they could farm in such a way that they could... Um, Maximise their income, but protect the farm from adverse weather events like drought and flooding. So that was important. But the other side of this, to not farm together, so they had this burning action going on as well. And they wanted to not farm together because they wanted to maintain some independence. They wanted to be able to do things when they wanted to be able to do it. And not sort of seek guidance and help from others in order to be able to do it. Or permission. Or probably that's the big one, Peter. They people have this sense that they're going to get permission. And the moment they talk of getting permission, they have this sense of loss of independence.
0: Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Makes sense. Yeah. And so having strength and scale and maintain independence, um, the 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 goal the the common goal um, for it was to keep the family together so to keep the family together they'd like to have strength and scale and maintain independence and in keeping the strength and scale they wanted to farm together but to maintain independence they felt they couldn't farm together they had to farm independently right so they were so they were trapped yeah So then what I did after that, and I didn't really in that visit want to come to um, solutions. Um, So we left it there and uh, just let them um, ruminate on that for a while and um, went and saw the other family. And um, the other family um, went through the same process and they came up with a list like, One of them felt there was a lack of respect. Opinions weren't valued. Now, that was interesting because this chap had come back to the farm after being away, whereas the other son had been there since he'd left school. But he had gone away and done things and experienced other aspects in business and in life and had come back to the farm. But he felt those opinions, his opinions... Um, didn't count and that was um, very frustrating for him he was oh, always I've,
0: I've been doing this while you've been off gallivanting around sort of approach was it he,
1: well he had been he the other one would claim that he's been doing everything on the farm and the other guy's been gallivanting around and the other yeah, guy would yeah, claim, yeah. yeah but my gallivanting around meant i learnt lots of things in different areas and now you don't want to listen to them <laughs> yeah right got it not only not only that he's the youngest uh, which one sorry the, the one that was gallivanting around oh okay yeah yeah yeah, yeah
0: right. so
1: noise. so so the natural family makeup starting to go against him a bit
0: yeah
1: um, and there was different opinions on how to do things you know focus on the farm effectiveness pay down the debt first no real plan Dad really still had full control. The other son liked things like contracting. He liked all the shiny toys, you know, like the big tractors and the big headers and the big harvesters and the well, a header and a harvester are the same, but big harvesters and that sort of thing. It all, it all looks good, whereas the other son liked simple things like sheep farming. And so it became hard for the two brothers to reconcile doing different activity. Right. right. And then then, then he said, oh, well, you know, the five P's. Um, I can't recite exactly what they are, but it's something like piss-poor planning. Gives piss-poor oh, out, piss outcomes prior, or something. Prior
0: prior planning
1: prevents piss-poor performance? Is that it? Something like that. I can't remember, I yeah, can't yeah, remember yeah. what it is. But, so he had a crack at that. <laughs> um, and the animosity, succession plan not definitive. Um, so they all had, they all had their gripes that were similar. And so we built this um, um, diagram for him as well. And um, he wanted he also wanted a successful farming family. Um, but he, he had a need for respect. And individual focus on farming control but to get respect it was all inclusive and individual farming control was not all inclusive so again they had this this desire that they had this oh we want to be together oh but we don't want to be together <laughs> <laughs> we don't want to be together because we want to feel like we're independent but we want to be together because some, there's something about that that seems to make us all safer and we really want success, to be a successful farming family. So then after I did that process with them, I went and saw mum and dad and I read out their um, dilemma before where um, they, felt, they felt compelled to take these interventions to look after the farm or protect the farm. They also felt compelled not to take those interventions because there's a need for the sons to be independent and that they mum and dad wanted a successful succession five to 10 years in. So we sort of tried to combine all the, all the clouds up um, and it was left with the family to talk about that and to try and build words into these clouds or diagrams or dilemmas um, it's all the same thing, but to, to try and build this picture with a, with single words, um, not so much single words, but short sentences that describe how it is for them all.
0: Yeah, the, and, the deadlock sort of thing.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah. I wanted them to um, all talk about it. Now, that process has been ongoing for about three or four months now. Okay. Which is something I was also going to wish to talk to the listeners about because these the succession planning you can imagine that sometimes it goes on for years because not only do they have to talk about this but they actually have to go and run their businesses yeah yeah and then stuff gets in the road like for these poor guys a they had drought and then so when i went and saw them they were in drought mode yeah a couple of months ago they ended up in flood mode Ugh. and so yeah, farming is a
0: rough gig isn't
1: it yeah farming yeah. is a tough gig um, so they've been kicked around a few bit and I was speaking to a mate of mine who's also an accountant and has done quite a few of these succession plans and he was saying Peter look some of them take five years some of them never get concluded right there's really got to be a wish and will for these things to get um, dealt to. And not only talked about and there be a plan, but to actually do something with the plan. You know, like, take the first steps. Divide things up. Do the sale and purchase agreements. Put the right. sale and purchase agreements on the table. You know, like you got to write them up like you mean it. And I think one of the one of the things that's difficult for these families to get their heads around is the asset and the debt. So what, what can typically happens is you know the, the, the children come along and all they see is the asset. And how great yeah. it would be to own the a piece of the farm, and how great it would be to be a landowner a farmer and have shiny toys on the farm. That'll be really cool. what they don't see is in many cases there's a lot of debt that goes on the farm and the children aren't necessarily equipped for dealing with debt, they're not used to it they didn't raise it in the first place so the debt becomes a difficult conversation and um, they have to get present that if they're going to take over the farm they have to take over the debt as well, you can't leave the debt with mum and dad because now there's no <laughs> farm to secure the, the the debt over. Yeah, right. And so I started to understand more about these farming families, where, and I don't I don't sense it as being prolific in um, what you might call the the business community, where it's not farming things or not agricultural things. It's, um, where, where you've got manufacturers or you've got um, software businesses or distribution businesses, importers, exporters. I don't, I don't really um, see this the same. It's, it's a bit different. But when it comes to farming, yeah, the debt and the business of farming um, is hard for many of these guys to take on. Like you get some cracker farmers. There's no doubt about it, just like you get crack businessmen. And yep, they yep. run very good farms, and they run them financially successfully. But there's many where the people have grown up on the farm, they take over the farm, and they're so used to putting their gun boots on in the morning and jumping on a tractor, they think that that's what farming is.
0: And so the business,
1: yep. yeah, the business side of it, the trading aspect of it, the buying and the selling of your stock or your grain or whatever, yeah that's very different to driving around on the tractor, plowing the fields and sowing the seed.
0: Yeah, okay. Okay.
1: So, I mean, that's, that's your
0: life as well as a farmer, right? It's not like yeah. you lock up the door to the office and go home.
1: No, no. And for a lot of these guys, you know, it is in many ways seven days a week, 24 hours a day. And... Um, a lot of them are not equipped for the business part of farming, I right? Personally, that's my, that's my opinion. Many of them are, but many of them are not. And um, it's a, a, an aspect that's missing. So when it comes to succession planning, there's, there's an aspect of nows business nows that goes missing. And I don't say that that was in this particular case with these, this, farming family I'm talking about Yep. but I've also done others as well Right, okay Yeah Um, And and one um, that was in the agricultural sector but it wasn't farming per se We went through the same process with them too and got to the position where um, they agreed on the the, um, um, shortened version of what I call these clouds or dilemmas and I, we actually pulled out a sale and purchase agreement and started putting numbers and things on it. <laughs> and oh, wow. okay, that that's quite right? Yep. To get the sense of reality that mum and dad were actually selling the farm to the children. And oh. um, to raise up the stakes of the, of, the re, of the truth and the reality. And, of course, that brought home all the unfinished business that needed to be dealt with. Yep. and then and then dad coined the phrase the one-liner that he wanted to prepare in this case it was actually his daughter but there were other children involved as well so I'll talk about that in a minute too um, so dad coined this phrase i need to get or we so it was a collective thing not just for from his perspective but collectively we need to get my daughter and obviously i'm not mentioning names um, in these podcasts, but I need to get my daughter into the position where I can hand over the baton. Right. So then what they said was, well, we better describe what the baton looks like. So then they started figuring out what the baton looked like. And then they started figuring out what was blocking them from doing those things. And then they st- started figuring out what they needed to do. And, you know, like there was tax implications, there was company implications in it, there were loans in it that had to be dealt with, like there was a whole bunch of stuff, a laundry list of stuff that had to be worked through in order for the baton to be handed over. So that became um, a very good process for them um, to work through. And then, strange as it may seem, some other... Customer of theirs, or friend, or relation, or somebody was um, talking to them, and this hand over the baton plan was up on the wall in big paper. Yeah, yep. yep. This guy says, Oh, what's that? They said, Oh, this is my hand over the baton plan. So, oh, that's interesting. Who did that? (laughs) So, I got a phone call from that guy, right to do something similar. So this this idea of succession and planning to do it is actually a big deal. Yeah, And it's very different to the actual business that they are in. They're not used to dealing with this sort of thing. Some of them have turned around and said, look, we'll just sell out entirely and just put the thing on the market and the third party buys it. Right. But where you've got families, what came up to this family was Oh, yeah, but there's um, other children involved here. We have to be fair to all of them. Okay. So then they, as part of their handover the batting plan, they invented a way to talk about this with the family. They invented a way for the family to have input. Um, and they invented a way for the family to come to an agreement whereby part of that agreement was that they could not interfere. Now, the children, of course, have grown up with this business and been part of the business over time, but that all moved off and done other things, but they still felt they owned a sense of it. Uh, Sorry, they owned a part of it. And because they... Sense that they honed a part of it, they felt entitled to an opinion.
0: Yeah, yeah, okay,
1: yep. Well, you can imagine how that was going to go down with the, with their sibling, who is who had now raised real money to buy it off mum and dad.
0: Yep, yeah.
1: And she wanted to be in a position where she, she would like to value their opinion and listen to their opinion, but not have to follow it. <laughs> and, yeah. and not end yeah. up in a in a negative family argument because she did not do what they suggested. (laughs) So so they were inventing a way to have a big clearing conversation with the family about all these matters. And they, they ran another mantra, and I think this is a cracker. They ran the mantra that we have to be fair, we have to be clear, and we have to have no surprises. And they thought if they could put all this together and cause those effects, or, you know, like through that mantra, hand over the baton through that mantra, Yeah. going to be fair, we're going to be clear, and there's going to be no surprises, yep. then the family would be on board and we, and it would be, the, call it the path of least resistance to getting this deal done. Right. So, yeah, so Peter family session planning for businesses um, can be very convoluted, very complex, take a very long time. But I think the thing that gets you there is our BBIT tools where we can use things like clouds, Prerequisite clearing, uh, sorry, prerequisite tree analysis. And I think that what goes with that is the conversations, being straight, be fair, clear, no surprises. When you when when we as consultants behave in a way to help customers work through these things in some sort of process then I think it helps make these complex things a lot, lot easier. Yeah. And I, and I, Peter, I thought it was fantastic that one of these guys had the big plan on the wall. And that plan was actually written by them in their words. And I thought that was very powerful. And the fact that they wanted to share it with somebody else, the fact that it was on the wall and visible was a big deal. Yeah. And it made it much easier for them um and this like that that's been ongoing now for nine months.
0: Right. Well, as you said, if it's if it's one of these things that can be left to the wayside, one of the ways to make sure it's in your face is to put it in your face, right? <laughs> yeah.
1: Yep. Yep. So now there's a lot of open communication about it. And I must say that that every time I do these things, emotionally it's running hot. There's a lot yep. of emotion, a lot of feeling. There's a lot of things said that have never been said before. It's a fascinating experience to go into somebody's life that you that you don't know. You've never, never had contact with them, really. First thing they're doing is knocking on your door saying, oh, I've heard that you can help. Yeah. Uh, So I I have a real sense of or obligation of um, desire, wishing to help them. So Peter, I guess that's it. Succession planning in a nutshell.
0: Okay. Um, Can we go back to the first one and talk a bit more about the the like what you did with them. Like in our previous call, we talked a bit more about what you actually did. It obviously, you went through how the
1: cloud looked. Um, oh, yeah. So, so I went, when we gathered all this up, I went back to Dad and I sat down with Mum well, and Dad and started talking about what had happened. And I was talking about um, their, their dilemma where they felt, that, felt the need to um, do these interventions. And the the, um, common goal for mum and dad was successful succession five to 10 years out. Protect the farm. The sons are independent. And they were checking their assumptions around um, this this cloud. And they started to realise or started to get the sense that this idea of protecting the farm, the thing that they've built, uh, might actually be their handbrake. And they started realising that that desire to protect that farm in the way it was, was causing another two families to be bound into that and maybe doing something that they actually didn't really want to do. And what they started to realise... That the best way to protect the farm and go one step beyond that, the best way to protect the families was maybe to split the farm up. Right. Provided the farm, you know, could um provided each unit was still economic, you know, fundamentally economical to farm. So given that assumption is true, then splitting the farm up was probably going to be the way that actually kept it together, so to speak.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and they realized that that by forcing it, their wish of having it together was forcing the boys to think um, of keeping it together but wanting the independence. And then every time they push back that caused an argument that rippled through the other two families.
0: Yeah, right.
1: And so the the idea of keeping the farm together, which really meant keeping the families together, the thing about keeping the farm together was probably going to break it. It was going to break the families. And they realised that to keep the families together, they probably had to let the farm go in terms of how how they understood the farm to be. They had to give up what they thought it looked like for them, but rather let it run into the future in the hands of the sons, but but the sons run it independently. Now, if the sons run it independently, I'm picking that what would happen is they then jointly might get together because now it's their own choice. And they might do some collective farming in certain aspects that suit them, but not collective farming together as a whole.
0: Yeah, right. Well, that's a good that's a good sort of uh, solution there, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Choosing when to come together for things that make sense, as opposed to feeling compelled to be be together.
1: Yeah. Exactly. So. So that. Insight for me and. Mum and Dad hasn't necessarily rippled back through the family yet. That's a, that's a future session. <laughs> okay. But I suspect Dad's seeding that with the sons. Yep. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see you know in another few months how that how that pans out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Right, so if our uh, our listeners at home here are wanting to have a crack at a similar thing, what would your you know what would your advice be? Let's say they've got some sort of dilemma at home, or they've got it at the office between you know a couple of parties that might be a bit emotionally defensive of say their department or or their well, decisions they've made in the past, even. Yeah, how, I, how would you how would you sort of go about that?
1: I I think that. I think the way that I've seen works successfully is getting each party to write down on a piece of paper, what's bothering them about whatever the thing is that's bothering them. Okay. Yep. I think the power of them writing it down and then doing these laps of writing things up on the board, each person gets the opportunity to put one thing up on the board. Now, The thing that stops is particularly in a group is somebody taking over. So everybody gets the opportunity to write their things down and talk to that thing. Right. So everybody feels like they're getting a fair whack at participation. They've been able to have their say, they've been able to get it written up, they've been able to talk about it, how it impacts them um, and then being able to try and describe that dilemma. Um, Peter, I presume we're talking to BBITers here, people who have done BBIT? Uh, no, no, probably okay. not. So, so then if they can try and extract that into um, looking at the common things about it and see if they can figure out what's the common... Um, what's a common behaviour one way and its opposite? And then figure out why... They want to behave that way and behave the opposite way. There's, there's reasons why that's happening. And then start staring at that and, and considering that these the, the whys of it are valid, yep. but the behaviours are in conflict and that, that's a bit weird and they need to try and figure out um, a way to break through that.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the thing, right? They both, much like with the farm example, it's the situation where you're conflicted because both sides have value. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But and I think it's important that both sides. Yeah. Both sides have to see that value, and yep. recognise that each side does have it does have value. Yeah.
0: And it's worth it's not, working through.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, but it's hard to see that sometimes, isn't it, until it's plain as day in in a few boxes on a whiteboard. (laughs) Yeah, well, people have
1: to respect that if there's a if there's a pitched battle going on, (laughs) each side has a cause they are fighting for. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And it's not immediately obvious to the other side what that cause is. And the, the, my assumption is that if they're each fighting to the death for a cause, <laughs> there's some common objective in there somewhere. Like, we both want to live on the same piece of land, so having a pitched, fierce battle to push one the other one off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I
0: mean, there, there must be a common goal, right? Otherwise, you just go your separate ways and do your own thing and not care about the outside. Yeah, yeah. But, but you're here arguing with them because you, you want them to agree. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 All right. Well, hopefully the, the listener got um got a bit out of that story and um an approach to take. Uh, I think for me the thing that flies under the radar the least, or people might might not realize the power of, is what you when you made the point that everybody gets to share one thing at a time, and you go around in circles, um, rather than you know, one person writing up their list and then dominating the others by saying, no, nah, I've already said that. It's, it's, it's a huge step, isn't it? To, to allow people to actually have their say, to actually stop and slow down and listen to each other and that everybody gets a fair input. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's big. All right. Well, and and if, I'll just
1: finish off by saying my, when, when I met this, in fact, in all cases, My role in there is to actually get mum and dad to listen. (laughs) Right. And I think in a lot of this stuff, Peter, the parties, call it the ringleaders, if you like, or the managers or the the guys who are um, driving something forward and not listening enough. Right. So when we do these lists and they do the one-by-one in laps, What it's what it's forcing everybody to do is listen, participate, and listen. And I find in the succession planning, you know, mum and dad listening is actually a big deal. Yeah,
0: interesting. I mean, we hear so much about that as well, Um, but it's often easier said than done. So having a a robust step like that to actually follow to cause it to happen is is really good. Thanks for that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And i quite often, Peter, you know, these people are doing these laps and I'm going, Hey, 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 you've had your one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Right. Next.
0: (laughs) Yep. Yep. Yeah.
1: All right. Very good. Well,
0: thank you for taking the time out to take us through this. And as I say, I hope the listeners got a lot out of it and, uh, We might have you back on here with another story shortly.
1: Yeah, sure. All right. Thanks. Very good. Thanks, Peter. All right. Cheers. Cheers. Bye.